Welcome to Night Light. Step away from the mainstream and gather around as we enlighten the world and our realities and travel this cosmic journey we call life. Join us as we share with you and provide that beacon that can guide us all to a better way. Explore with us as we examine a metaphysical montage of spiritual insights covering everything from the mundane to the magical, UFOs to unicorns, and everything in between. This is a time of awakening, of sharing and evolving, of spreading our wings and soaring on the cosmic breath of creation. Come and join with other light-minded spirits as we weave our lights together to seek understanding, enlightenment, and with a little luck, some wisdom. This is Nightlight, a reminder that you are never alone. you are sharing your time with us tonight in this busy time of the year with all sorts of stuff going on. It's nice to take a breather every now and then and just sit back, relax, and get entertained by other people. So Mark and I are really glad you're here tonight. I want to thank first um, our Ken Quiethawk, who did our intro for us. You can find him at nativestorytellers.com. He and his wife have an amazing website. Please do check it out. And uh, Mark has an amazing guest uh, online here tonight for you. We're really, really excited to have him with us because his book is a fabulous book. And um, I have yet to be able to get into it, but Mark has, has swallowed it whole. So he is the expert tonight for sure. So I'm going to let Mark introduce him. Hi, Mark. How are you doing tonight? Fine. I hope uh, you and everyone had a nice, uh, joyful Christmas, and everyone will have a happy new year. Absolutely. Well, so, uh, you know, might as well just get started. We have a lot of information well, to cover you, today. So. Why don't you sort of give a little explanation of what's going on and I will check and see if our guest is in the queue. Okay. Um so what's going on? Um so I thought Yin's like Sherry um like to know I'm back. I uh, wasn't technically fired again after these singing bowls nearly broke the internet and caused the Pompano Beach mermaid to nearly go into seizures, but <clears throat> I'm allowed back on the air after attending 10 days of intensive cultural re-education classes. Um, Barbara is going to be doing a show on Monday. Uh, yep. I may be doing a research project next Tuesday, uh, 
I, I may not be here, but uh, the following Tuesday, I, I have a college professor who will be covering prehistoric climate change on the 14th. And, you know, we have a lot of new guests and just published books coming out that are going to warm up your winter. And our guest is here. Um, we have had a couple shows recently that examined South American historical mysteries. Uh, Joan Conover had her uh, Ancient Canal uh, show and the the Road to Ruins guys, uh, Rob and Dave, covered their recent trip to Guatemala. Uh, tonight's show is going to be a captivating conclusion to this trilogy. Our guest will link information from a few other shows we've uh, done over the last six months. Uh, Barbara and I have really been looking forward to this show for the last uh, couple months. Uh, Alex Chianetti is our guest. Uh, most of our listeners are already familiar with his work. He was a consultant for the Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull movie, and he was an assistant producer and consultant with Ancient Aliens for a couple years. Uh, Alex will be discussing his just-published book with Inner Traditions entitled Mysteries of the Teos Caves. Hi, Alex. How are you? And happy early birthday. Whoops, wait a minute. Okay, okay so try again. Yeah. Try again, Alex. I'm yes. sorry. Yes. Yeah, thank you for having me here. Yeah, and it's, uh, I know you, you were very hard to get me <laughs> tonight, and I am here to answer yep. all the questions and tell my story and talk about my books and make new friends. Yeah, and answer also the questions oh. of, the, of the public, too. Uh, no? I, I think you have yeah, yeah uh, open lines, uh, uh, no? Yeah, yeah, uh, uh, yeah, we might have uh, some people call in. I I know uh you know with the uh posts I put you know the banner I put out uh for the last few days, uh I've had a number of my uh friends or like, "Oh, th th this sounds really neat." I you know, I I'm going to be uh tuned in so you know matt and sherry and uh the regulars are are here and they're really intrigued by your story so you know let's uh start uh uh talking about your book and it, it really is uh a a, a captivating story and mm -hmm. This, yes, indeed. This, yes. Yeah, and the first modern uh, documented exploration of this mysterious cave system uh, comes from an Italian explorer in the 19th century. Uh, okay, what was Salvador Festa's yes, observation? Yes, uh -huh. Festa was uh, the first one who who passed through the area, yeah, but he didn't descend. And after was another general, Proanio, who was kind of exiled in the jungle. But when when you are in the military 
and in that time in 1900s and also in this century they send you to the jungle they send you to orient when you're you have a bad conduct or you make a mistake <laughs> they used to send it the that far out last last bastion the last edge of life and death was the amazonian jungle either in peru or in ecuador no and it's, yeah, uh, but, yeah, but the festa, yeah, festa was a, a naturalist and a traveler. Uh, yeah, I was an Italian. Yeah, the Italians were great explorers in the 1900s, all over the world. Yes, and uh, and they also visit uh, the Andes and the jungles. Yes, it's not festa was not the only one. And after, yeah, in the turn of the century, in 1900s was this general who was in opposition to the one president who was a tyrant in that time. It was a kind of a very difficult leader, and and after he confronted him, he was sent also to the jungle, and he described the entrance of the cave and consider this this place as secret for already the Indians in that time they used to call the Hibaros. The Hibaros were the custodians of the place yesterday and today. But now we call that India the Shuars. Shuars and Achuar is the anthropological ethnographic group, no? We call today. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh yeah, and it's uh in the nineteen sixties the cave of Quango was uh, explore and we could say discovered by Janos Morix in the expedition he did in 1969 with the sponsorship of the tourist office of Ecuador after being several years before and making another big discovery uh, in another area of the cave systems with my friend Julio but um, my story is very personal. I am par- I, I am the last of the chain of characters in this story. That is, I decide to finally write uh, my book and finish my documentary, who took so many years, almost decades, to conclude. No, but this story is part of my life. That is uh, has been more than thirty, almost forty years with this story, and I think. And when I immigrated to the States, I brought it. And one one of the first intent when I was living in California then was get financing to back to do an expedition and a, uh, a documentary about the place. But nobody really cared. And for years, I tried to convince National Geographic, Discovery, um, the Travel Channel, and, and everybody ignored me. And unfortunately, somebody copy my story and was in, was a program in Travel Channel a couple of years ago and now it's discovery again. But uh, but that my my mission was yeah, bring it to the American audience the mystery of the Tarius. That was I I think in some lines I was following an invisible design to be ambassador of this new mystery who now now it's kind of a, it's a very well known uh, story. No, after a decade ago, I set it. I did a segment. I produced and created a segment for this uh, kind of uh, best rating show called Engineering. <laughs> yeah, but uh, 
but uh, something I regret, but they didn't really take the story with the respect uh, was, but at least it's well known now. <laughs> yeah, and sharing that was difficult, but I think it's, uh, I have been journalist all my life, and uh, I am a communicator, and I, I like to share the good things to the good people. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that, uh, that was right. how I saw, uh, you know, learned uh, about, you know, this the metallic library and the, you know, the caves, you know, it's from, you know, one of those uh, uh, travel channel shows. And then I saw, you know, the book was coming out and it was like, oh, uh, we're, we're, we're doing that book. And I, I, it was really a, 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 a fascinating read. It, so, thank you very much. Mm-hmm. And when uh, Morix uh, rediscovers the, this cave in the 1960s. Um, yeah, uh, let's look yes, at you know, yes, it's, yeah, it's a geography. Yeah, but the, the, the story, yeah, the cave was already known, but nobody defend until now. We have only only a glimpse, kind of a hint of the under, underground war. Uh, the story, let me resume. It's kind of well, the okay. season of case is between Peru and Ecuador. Um, for many years. We we have only kind of a rumor was a secret cave with uh, the Shuar Indians, the Hibaros, pilgrimage a couple of times a year to recollect these oil bears. Tayos is Tayu uh, is is the synonymous of oil bear. This kind of uh, um, yeah birds who lives they live in the darkness. They are almost a bat, but in the bird family and. They use this ecosonar to navigate. Uh, they are nocturnal. They go to feed outside of the cave systems. And these these caves, they are not only in Ecuador and Peru. They are also in Venezuela. From Venezuela to to Argentina, we have these kind of caves with uh, these oil birds. And that that kind of legend connect with the genesis of the Indian Shoars, with uh, one of the first legends talk about these two brothers, they get lost, they were kind of following, uh, descending to the cave, looking for the birds, but uh, suddenly they were confronting a lion, a jaguar, and one of the jaguars, they were two brothers. And it's, it's funny, but in the genesis of the Andes, we have also the first couple, uh, also in Peru, there were two brothers, no? Who came also from underground. That is near the empire of the Incas, near Cusco, no? And uh, this, uh, the brothers Ayar was his name. But we have a similar in the Shuar nation. And these brothers were kind of get lost. And finally, uh, one following one of the birds escaped from, from the cave, no? And that created all that uh, kind of myth, mythological genesis. But uh, beyond that, until the 1960, uh, Morix is a, is a foreign person, is Hungarian, 
He immigrated after surviving the Second World War. He immigrated to Argentina in the 50s. Uh, he met uh, in, in a library looking for the theories of the origin of man and the trans navigators. Uh, he was following with my friend Julio the theories of Florencio de Basaldua. Florencio de Basaldua was also Basque as uh, Julio Goyen Aguado, who met Morix in the uh, National Public Library, and looking for the same book of Basaldua. Basaldua wrote, he, he was an, uh, a foreign diplomatic, he was an inventor, he was type that Basque genius, but the Basque is a mysterious nation with a very ancient history, with very strange language, which is totally different of the rest of Spain and the rest of the Iberian Peninsula, the rest of Europe, no? And the language is called connect with the more ancient thing, connect with the Truscans, connect with the language of Aymara, a Kichwa Aymara, imagine. And it's, and either Basaldua or Morix, uh, they were looking that unity of the ancient war, the, the connection of uh, people's nations and empires connecting in kind of in in our kind of ancient sacred past and how was this was connected with the west ambassador was very kind of expert in hinduism he was ambassador of argentina and india and, uh, and, and he wrote a couple very visceral um, books on on the ancient culture of the Pacific of Lemuria, Mu, and he called the red race, and also trying to analyze too, and uh, analyze kind of uh, the connection of the Pacific with the Native Americans, or, and using the etymologies, using the semantics, and finding connotations between ancient language connected, no? And for example, between the Basque and the Truscans, and an American language, Indo-American language. And, but, and Morix and Julio followed that step. And also, he wrote a book, kind of a novel, in the turn of the century, who was also kind of a voyage to the center of the earth, talking about an intraterrestrial civilization who was part of these this ancient civilizations, no? And this civilization was in the Andes. And triggered by this, they continue that, that traditional studies, and it's when uh, Morix decided to continue exploring South America, but underground. He studied the caves in the Andes of Argentina, Chile, Bolivia, and in the mid-60s, finishing in Ecuador. And in, in Ecuador, uh, he will detour from kind of uh, in a very mysterious way after he meet this group of Indian Colorado, Colorados Indians called the Sachilas Indians. Um, and, uh, he, the, and he met this kind of uh, chief of the group. And these Colorados Indians are called, but they, they paint the head with the kind of uh, a groom, very thick groom of uh, red, red hairs, no? And it looks like uh, more red, red faces, no? And the head too, kind of this shell. And when Morris went there, 
suddenly he started to talk in his native Hungarian language, is the Magyar language, and they understood perfect. They said, "What is this?" and also, "Oh." Uh, and when they discovered he was looking uh, some some kind of, they saw some image they have about a secret bear, the, the bear Turul, who was is a secret bear also in his uh, stem and in his heraldic. And they said, "Oh, but this this bird is similar to the ones in the caves in in the east, in the Orient." And said, so "You should go to this area of Morona Santiago." where these birds are venerated and they are kind of uh, followed by by these these Indians, the Hibaro Indians. And when he followed that intuition is when he discovered this cave of, uh, this system of caves and organized an expedition. But when they descend to the caves they found this kind of amazing underground city made by megalithics. And, and blocks cutting blocks with perfection, no, and uh, right. Polish, Polish ducks, Polish, yeah, Polish, Polish ducks and tunnels, and according to the lawyer of Morris, who was part of that expedition, said we descend to the subterranean kingdom, and is. That was the perfection, the the perception. No, the perception was different of uh, a direct experience with a geological war and geological anomalies. And from from then was not any geological research until 1969. No, but uh, in between one year before. Uh, Morix with Julio in an expedition which is financed by the Mormon Church, but nobody knows. But either everybody keep it in secret, no. And we know we know the tradition of the Book of Mormon talk about this angel Moroni descend to the earth in the 1800s and give these gold plates to Joseph Smith. The genesis of the Mormon religion, no, and this right. this place with hieroglyphic symbols, with Smith decode with these special crystals called the Tumin Urim, who are also names of Inca names, no, very strange, no, the story of the Mormons, and this happening here in upstate New York in the Mount Kumora, is the place of contact and. And Smith had witness what they saw the place, and for several months he translated this uh, another version, the other testament of Christ, as they said, and and all the story of the Americas, yeah, BC, no, it's totally kind of another different raconte of civilizations uh, before Christ, no, and and all these kind of. Uh, very controversial story. That is the reason the Mormon elders they get interested in the story of Morix and Julio. Julio was Mormon growing up, but he was not totally kind of, uh, I think, very close to the faith when they decide to do this expedition. But 
he never told me the story. I, I have to travel in, in the year 2000. I traveled especially to Salt Lake City to resolve the mystery. And finally, I found there when I, uh, the the vice president of the Mormons sent me to meet Elder Jesperson, who was a fantastic person. And he was the American Mormon who held expedition of Julio Morex. But Morex doesn't doesn't kind of uh, decide on bring the two Mormon elders to the cave where with the Julio they have the experience and and the finding of this lot, uh, lost metal library. Uh, the metal library is supposed to be a big kind of uh, cache of metal scrolls lost in time, nothing to do with the Hiberlinias, nothing to do also neither with the Padre Crespi kind of collection in Cuenca. For some people, think it's the same. But uh, Padre Crespi is another Cesalician who was, of course, contemporary of this story, but he died in the early 80s, and he collects many artifacts from that region is not too far from the area what is the cave of Tajos and uh, and he have yeah a big collection of metal scroll with some some until today there are undecipherable that you cannot really decode they're undecoding one undecoded <laughs> and well some are fake some are authentic the main ones are by by the central bank, um, and the others are still rotten there in the basement of a church called Maria Auxiliadora. Um, knowing the Salesian church is very kind of very strict and very kind of um, snobby respect to the story, considering it's, it's kind of bunch of tin tin cans and not important material. <laughs> but uh, coming back, yeah, I think I I I, res I, I make I try to make a resume. It's not easy to tell the story. That is, I said I recommend to all the public uh, or the listeners take a look of my book. But I I analyze step by step. Uh, is uh, to tell the story of Tajos. Uh, I I have to take several several hours, <laughs> but it's not easy to kind of. A condensed, but it's a story of a archaeological discovery. I call the more difficult detective story, archaeological detective story for any, any challenge. <laughs> what uh, took me so many years uh, in the in the making, in the making to try to resolve as being part of of the story, no, being part of the the last uh, the last friends. Who, who were witness of uh, this fantastic discovery? Yeah. Alex, what you just mentioned? You know, your the point of your book is to tell the story of the caves, and, and you are doing that 
through uh, various uh, points of view. You know, like you said, the ar- archaeological, mm-hmm. you know, you cover cover the folklore, and you know, one of the in, yeah, I, I, really attacked, interesting, I attacked the tiger for all the sites. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, that's why, you, and you know, the uh, Morix's uh, journals and the uh, reproductions of, you know, like, uh, French newspapers, interviews with them. But but one of the really interesting aspects that you introduce is the uh, various languages. Found on the metallic library, and mm-hmm. Morix thought that it it, it resembled the uh, Magyar uh, Hungarian language with which he was mm-hmm. familiar. Uh, c- can you explain uh, the the languages? Uh, or how the language was well, it's, uh, presented in Morris the book. Was, yeah, Morris was not the only one either. There were other group of, you have to situate the Hungarian. The Hungarian was also a very advanced culture as part of the uh, the Asian, the Huns, but uh, it's, it's between Asia and Europe, no? And and there are the heritors of big baggage from from information, knowledge of the past, thousand years behind, going to the right is Asia, going to the left is Europe, and uh, of the map. And they were linguistics. They were also scholars from uh, before Morix, who already start to do analogy between ancient languages, and they found maybe the origin of the Magyar language who was also very isolated, very different of all the Slavic language of the area. I said, you, you cannot, if you talk the Czechoslovakians, they cannot, or the Polish, if they talk with the Hungarian, they will understand, and vice versa, you know, the neighborhood countries, no, for example, or the Russians, or, yeah, etc. But uh, if you go in time, these scholars, they were connecting the Americas. They thought the Magyar have origins in the Americas. And, uh, and also Morix, Morix, he only wrote one small booklet, and the title of the book was The, Euro- the American Origin of the European Nations. And also some scholars, they were thinking, as we were talking in the beginning about the transnavigations, the transatlantic uh, primordial cultures have the before the Egyptians and the Sumerians maybe they were connecting Europe with the Americas and that previous scholars to Morix they were talking about this possibility that this from Central Europe, from the Black Sea and from the Mediterranean, they navigate to Americas, and this this ancient Asian group as the Magyars, they originated the the American cultures maybe ten, twenty thousand years ago. But that they, we have two, also Morix Flip and the story and, and back again, 
and he he considered the mother race was the Americas, was the Amazon, and were the Andes, and in that also we have all this kind of uh, corroboration of the navigation with come Torhear that come later to talk about America navigated to the Polynesia. And they left statues in Fatuhiva and in the Easter Island, using the first also the current, the Oriental people, Japan and China, were coming to the coast of Ecuador. We found it in the Valdivia culture, and 2,000, 1,600 years ago. We have uh, similarities between uh, traditions, uh, ceramics, no, no language, but we found it in the textiles. And we have the lotus position of Buddhist type of uh, um, migration. And also, yeah, from the coast of Ecuador and Peru, using the return of the current, going to to the west, no? So the, the war was, you know, what sure many other researchers talk before me and about Columbus was the last one yeah to to arrive to the Americas no it's kind of uh, yeah that that kind of thing in, in, yeah. and uh, but uh, I don't know what was the other question uh, uh, yeah. well, um, no, it, it, yeah, you meant yeah. You, know, you answered it about the uh, Magyar language, but you know, you were just talking about you know the Polynesian culture, and you know, it's yeah, you know, it sounds a little fantastic that thousands of years ago there there were uh, trans-Pacific uh, crossings, uh, but if you look at uh, the Evidence of uh, just uh, the chicken populations of Asia and like the Andes. It's it's like the same bird. You you don't find uh, you know that's uh, same chicken in um, England. So it, Uh it, it seems like there was a some explanation for why you have the same animal uh, it found in just two isolated countries. Were, you know, th- that does suggest that there was trans-Pacific crossings between the two uh, yes, and, uh, and countries at some point. And, yeah, yeah, transatlantic and trans-Pacific, right? Yeah. Yeah. Both, yeah, both, I, I mean, both. It, it, yes. and it, it, it's and you know, you do mention that there was a proto-Asiatic mm-hmm. uh, uh, migration yeah, the, to yeah, protoculture. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. So, yeah, uh, there were the scholars, and there were also the, the people with the Morix was in contact in that time in in nineteen. Uh, hundreds and eighteen thirties uh, and forties and yeah and, uh, also yeah he have 
connection with uh, this this group of uh, German thinker we connect to with the Nazi Germany, the the school on the group of Anher, but that is not an evidence, final evidence. So nobody really researched that lost years of of Morix then, but uh, we know the Horviger group and we have all these uh, geologists who were interested in the ancient Americas as Bellamy and Allen and Otto Rank and many others from that period who were connected with uh, this uh, search for that uh, lost power of move the rocks, no, and have the this technology. That is also converged, that mystery we have in the Andes of all these pre-Incas cultures who have the technology to lift, cut, dissolve the rocks and move it from one place to another. In the case of the cave of Quangos, Tajos Quangos cave, we have these structures, these monoliths, uh, these cornerstones, these polished kind of passages and tunnels, who shows uh, a different technology. It's not natural formation. It's not only erosion of the of the water of the rivers. No, no matter the area is a very fluvial, erosive terrain. No, we know the water produces very capricious forms with limestone, with andesite. And all this karst, the karst is not too difficult to to create. But when you have kind of a big 500, 1,000 tons monolith dividing one gallery from another and supported by corner stones, as you could see the pictures in my book, that mm-hmm. is a kind of an architecture. It's an engineering, it's a different it's a premeditated thing to create a kind of an underground shelter. I don't know, but uh, in the 1976, we found some burial place, and it's a very mysterious how people descend to the cave, but it's a very difficult descent, these caves. There are more than 120 caves of Tajos. It's a maze, it's a labyrinth, and we have been exploring only two or three. Except <laughs> Of the in the last 50 years, yeah, 40, 50 years, and uh, that is uh, the challenge. And only in this Congo cave we have these anomalies. This we found this underground city. In the rest, we have some kind of polished levels and mesas and tables, but no concentrated as we we see it in the one the one explored and discovered by rediscovered by Morix and also my friend Julio and uh, and also who was a, a place where the expedition of 76 which was one of the bigger expeditions in in the history of the speleology of the spelunking not only for the natural wonders but also trying to get Finally, the the clue, and uh, well, to take over the the famous metal library, no. And our astronaut Neil Armstrong was the 
the character, the unusual invited guest to be a captain of that expedition. But uh, the purpose was another one, and the purpose was uh, take over uh, a fantastic kind of uh, treasure and bounty. For, we are fortunate that it was protected by by Morris and, and Julio and they didn't reveal the final location of the place and it's still that it's still waiting to be rediscovered too. <laughs> yeah, but for yeah. by the by the 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 selected ones <laughs> we could say. <laughs> yeah. That's a good way to look at it. The chosen ones. The chosen Okay. Uh, you know, we can go with that. But, uh, you know, there is this, you know, uh, world famous legend of El Dorado. It's mm-hmm. the, the legend persists. We don't know. Where this city of gold was located, but you know people are you know been captivated by that for hundreds of years. Uh, you mm-hmm. know, Spanish explorers are looking for it. Uh, you know, it seems like it's based on something like Atlantis. You know, there's someone saw something at some point, and it, it just became part of folklore legend could the chaos caves be in the you know metallic library could all that be some remnant of the El Dorado legend no yeah your question is very good um when I start to study the conquest of America, and I start to study the myths and the legends. I always was fascinated by before and after the arriving of the Spaniards, but also I was interested to follow that expedition of the, the early Spaniards, you know, from Cortes to Pizarro, from Pizarro to Alvarado, to Cabeza de Vaca, mm-hmm. Uh, to Núñez de Balboa, and who enter in the Amazonian region, yeah, looking for gold. And it's, I remember the concept, and the concept also, yeah, connect with the story of Tajos and connect with El Paititi, no? The legend of Paititi. Well, Dorado, we don't know what, uh, exactly the genesis, but there are two versions. El Dorado as a city, as a lost city, and also as the character who used to bat himself in this lake in Colombia called Guatavita, the Laguna Guatavita, the Guatavita Lake, you know? And and the the Incas and Chipchas from that area, they used to throw offerings in gold, and the king was kind of navigating in this golden kind of barge, um, and maybe burial there, and that he used to kind of cover himself with dust gold. As after that ceremony, and submerge himself in the lake. No, that was mm-hmm. uh, this chief. 
they call him El Dorado too. And and that legend was multiplied in many areas from Central America to South America, uh, Central and South America, there were all these flashes, this, as they call the ghost of El Dorado, no? They were kind of uh, rumors. There were rumors always beyond was a nation with gold. And, and the gold, yeah, was very rich in this, these Mesopotamian rivers, alluvion, alluvional gold and and veins of gold inside of the hills and mountains, no? And it's, it was a reality there, and it's a reality today, no? But still, the mining is a big kind of grid who kind of make governments to raise and fall and also betray their own Indian nation, no? As has been succeeding and had been happening in in the Andes region as Peru, Ecuador, Bolivia, and Chile, and Argentina, and Brazil, yeah, and Venezuela, and Colombia, all, all the map, no? <laughs> and uh, yeah. and this, this uh, kind of, uh, yeah, readiness bring to the Spaniards to go and challenge from Amazon women to find some some places. But when you were going to the east, to the Atlantic coast was not too much gold. The gold remains in the eyebrow of the jungle. And and the gold is also in oil. You find in these caves, you find search of of petroleum, of the black gold. No? Mm-hmm. You have the green gold and the black gold. And that is in the traditions and is is in the today in the confrontation between mining companies and ancient ancient cultures and regional kind of ethnias. Um, but uh, yes, El Dorado was a real legend. We know they were golden miles. We know Atahualpa, he hide his his treasure. And Juan Morris was looking too. He was Part of him, he have a search of, of gold, and uh, and in his search, after they decide to kind of protect that metal library, he make a big discovery. He discover the Kumbaratsa and Bija mines, who were also ancient mines, who were kind of well, he rediscovered too. So it's not totally his original, but the Spaniards knew about these veins of gold. And unfortunately, uh, after he discovered, the people started to talk about, and they invade invade their properties. They invade his mines after he was working and exploiting that site for two, three years, several years. And a big tragedy. His story is a big tragedy. But Morris discovered two of the bigger reaches sites and he lost it and he he died in total poverty yeah he died in total poverty he didn't have enough money for his own burial no? uh, but he left a fantastic legacy and and a kind of a, a very hidden 
secret mission to protect the past from the looting. Very initial character is uh, when when you see it through my book, I try to dissect his personality, no, and his his personal tragedy, no, and it's many explorers have uh, this tragedy. One of the other explorers I follow in my research was Percy Fawcett. And Percy Fawcett was looking also, yeah, an ancient civilization who built and uh, they carved cities on the rock. And he followed another ghost of El Dorado, but the ghost of Atlantis, we could say, no? No matter many anthropologists mm-hmm. don't like to talk about Atlantis, but Atlantis is a reality. It's not only a romantic thing, but it's a reality. And we know legends are based in, in true. Yeah. We have layers of history and we've, we have layers of myths. And sometimes both, they converge together. Uh, and Fawcett was, he knows, he heard that kind of rumors going to the west of the jungles, going to west of the the map of the Mato Grosso, of Brazil and Bolivia, and he was expert in the measurement of Bolivia, and he was a geographical explorer, but he was also, he had a asmorics and and other researchers, he had this kind of call, he had a call of this, this from the past, he had a call to kind of fulfill a mission to connect with this also underground world, but Fawcett knows, and he said it's kind of an advanced city underground. That is, his search for me connects with the Tajos Caves and connects with the Chachapoyas Kingdom. And I have the privilege to be friend with another great explorer, and his name was Gene Savoy. Gene Savoy was uh, an American born in the state of Washington, but he immigrated to Peru. He was a photographer, but he he kind of accumulated the record of discoveries of ancient pre-Incan cities in the history of archaeology. And uh, and being uh, only a photographer, nobody recognized archaeologists back after he discovered the places, the universities went, they, and they claimed his findings, <laughs> and but the gene was uh, looking for this kind of legends, talking about a culture who was coming from the east and entered to the Amazon, entered to the Orinoco, and set in these high mountains between the jungle and the Andes, and that was the kingdom of Chachapoyas. And they were fair skinned people, kind of more kind of light face, light skin, light eyes, connected to with uh, the legend of uh, Ophir and the and the minds of Ophir. Um, and they create also, yeah, this cliff-hanging mounds, very unusual, uh, almost inaccessible burial places to connect almost with the heavens, no? And then this kind of encapsular sarcophagus, sarcophagus who remind the Egyptian one, no? And that is a connection with Egypt too, a possible thing 
they were the ships of Ophir who disappear in the Mediterranean and show up in in the Americas, no? And in that, and that flashes of El Dorado connect with this, these two two places, no? And, and modern researchers and researchers start to connect these kind of interconnecting lines with the past and the present. And but the world of exploration is didn't really found. For example, we were talking about the, the Atahualpa treasure when the Atahualpa was captured by Pizarro. He's supposed to fill that room, no? But the room was uh, filled until some level. But when the rest of the empire going north, going to Ecuador, but uh, Cajamarca, where Atahualpa died and he was executed, killed by Pizarro, is in Peru, no? It's in one of the states of Peru. Was the Tahuantinsuyo was the big empire and that comprehend Ecuador, Peru, and Bolivia. No, it was very extensive, and the families of Atahualca won the north, and his brothers and cousins supposed to bring more gold. But when they discover, they were informed about the death of Atahualca, they decide to toss it in the lakes and volcanoes. And another area called Yanganates, which uh, had been also a place of search for many people of this lost treasure of Atahualpa, no? And the Yanganantics connect also with Tajos, but in the area of Yanganantics, a few years ago was found a totally wall with bricks with a pyramidal wall and uh, with a very kind of uh, intricate assembling of bricks connected. And but nobody found yet that uh, cave of the treasure after so many uh, treasure huntings invading the area in the last uh, half of the century, no? And, uh, but uh, that that makes the secret with the profane in many levels, no? And my story of the Tajos is telling more the, the story of the secret. No, the, no other, not only by the Indians, the Schwartz or the Hibaros, but also the search of uh, Julio and Juan was also an, a spiritual search to connect and respect yeah. our invisible ancestry. Yeah. yeah uh, Alex, there... There, aside from these golden um, books on you know bookshelves, what they each weighed like something like forty-four pounds, and you know, they're all inscribed. Uh, and, and, and um, Morris also reported that there were. Uh, uh you know, giants found in uh a, a gold uh cast in their statues in this uh uh 
uh, metallic zoo. I mean, this is like a uh, the, the the reports coming f- from the cave uh, after Morix's, uh visits in the 1960s. Um, now this is like re- really extensive artwork and yeah, just something that really seems uh, fantastic. Uh, can, can you tell us you know, a little bit more about the the extensive artwork found inside the cave system? Wait one second. Sure. Okay, excuse me. I got one. Okay. Well, this has uh, been been some really interesting information. Uh, Barbara, what do you think? Yeah, it's fascinating. Um, you know, you kind of your stories of El Dorado and, and all of that and, and actually hear somebody talking about it in a different way is really quite amazing. Well, yes, it's, I think I see it through the eyes of an explorer. I have been exploring the Andes. I don't base only my research in the books. No matter, I like books. <laughs> and I, I like maps. and I But I, I do it through my a kind of recollection of the testimony, of uh, oral testimony. And as I said, I am part of this story, but I have been friends with the characters. They were friend of, part of my life. Many people are writing very stupid things about the Tajos in the last 10 years I have been, since I did that segment on ancient <laughs> aliens. Yeah. Uh, you see the blogs, they, they get intrigued, but uh, there are so much apocrypha uh, elements that uh, they come from in imagination. No, they come from rumors and uh, conspiranoid sides. No, mixing mixing the Masons with the Mormons and mixing <laughs> Neil Armstrong with the Illuminatis or <laughs> kind of or, or my friends with uh, secret missions or. Stanley Hall with the Secret Service and also with this not to verify. The story is complex, but sometimes it's more simple and it's a kind of it's, it's a it's, it's an story who tricked the the mind and the spirit together and, and the search. And it's a kind of a real, including when you talk to the Indians, the Indians talk about almost neo-Christian symbols of the dope and the and the Kalis, no? <laughs> in an amazing way, you find the same European tradition of the Grial in the middle of the Amazon, no? <laughs> that is, is a, and, is, and that pursuit, that archetypical search, it was similar to, to Fawcett. Fawcett was looking another Grial, and the Grial is it's a lost continent, it's a lost civilization, and, uh, and under the jungle and under the ground we have 
other life, other kind of, uh, I don't see, I'm not talking about uh, extraterrestrial mankind. I don't follow the von Daniken thing. Von Daniken did a very a lot of damage to this story. And when he lied in 1974 to sell books, no? And no matter, many people venerated today. <laughs> I don't erich, but uh, not from my side, since he told me he had to embellish the story and said, yes, I descend to the cave, and no, he didn't see it. Yeah, the only only two people see it, that two or three people saw that, that the golden gate of of the library of the lost yeah, I, I, library of Tajus. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, Alex, it, it, you know, you just um, you know, got to a point that um, you know, I think you know, we should. Uh, Talk about is you know this uh, Morix's story got out. It is drawing the attention of Eric von Daniken. Uh, you know, maybe in a little bit we can get into a little bit more of the uh, uh, Mormon expedition, but. Uh, how did uh, von Daniken's uh, expedition there? Uh, no, von, Dan- von, Dan- von Daniken hit. didn't make any expedition. No, he or was, his book. Uh, he's a, yeah, no, he was brought to one cave in Cuenca, but to take pictures. But uh, uh, he's supposed to. He's supposed to offer money to get money from uh, Germany in that time of Switzerland. Uh, Switzerland. From a magazine, um, and he 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 never delivered that thing. That when he's supposed to help to organize the expedition, he never really showed them. <laughs> yeah, but he he turned he turned multimillionaire with selling the the story of Tajos and publishing the the photos. Morix uh, give it to him in that 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 trip. In the in the early in the in the early seventies, no. And no, he he was brought to one cave, and he's supposed to be one of the entrance, but uh, along the territory of the different uh, states and departments of Ecuador, there are many systems. As I said, the system of caves they extend for several miles, 100 miles. Some cases connected with the other ones, but others they don't connect. And uh, I hope with uh, the new system, the use of uh, LiDAR uh, scanning, we could really resolve many of these labyrinthed caves. Uh, mapping, a new type of mapping from the air. But... Uh, uh, Daniken said he descent supposed to be the uh, one of the closer to the Quangus, but uh, he doesn't specify. And he used the pictures of the Father Crespi, the Father Crespi, saying that cachet of metal objects and ceramical and wooden carvings 
were found in the case, but that is uh, still is is a very um, legendary kind of uh, white lies, no more, more than white lies, <laughs> uh, kind of uh, many gray gray lines, and um, but he 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 put it also in the map. As Pondanikin, as the book turned a bestseller, everybody start to uh, to talk about in, in in the mid 70s about the caves, and that attracted Stanley Hall, and Stanley Hall created that big expedition I was telling you before, and uh, bringing the presence of uh, our first man on the moon, Neil Armstrong. But uh, was interesting was interesting too. But in 1969, when Morix was in the first official expedition, he was uh, talking to one of his uh, friends' guys there who helped in the logistic, and, uh, and he said he, he the, the moon was full, but it was July. Yeah, it was July of 69. And he saw kind of a shadow pass through the moon, and we don't know if it was a touch of bear or something, a bat. And he said to the people around the fireplace in the middle of the darkness, the same man who is walking in the moon, he will come here. He had a kind of a prophecy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It, it was very kind of uh, very eerie, very kind of. Uh, very kind of uh, uh, mysterious person with the, the, that kind of uh, psychic view, no? Some kind of. Uh, but, but but it did uh, happen just, uh, seven years later, and, and you know, with, with Neil Armstrong. Uh, exploring the cave, you have a photo of him uh, next to a uh, stalagmite. Um, yes. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, that's bound to bring some uh, credibility or validity to this subject to attract uh, the first man who walked on the moon is interested in investigating uh, you know, this lifelong project that so many people had, and, and, and including you. Uh, you, you know, what did Neil Armstrong's v- visit add to um, you know, the exploration of the Teos Cave? Uh, how was the... I didn't catch one of your lines. What... what uh... What he thought about? Uh, 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 what did Neil Armstrong's visit bring to the ca- uh, exploration of the cave? Well, it's, uh, the the real story is Stanley Hall, who was from a Scottish origin. He was from Edinburgh, and uh, the Armstrong uh, Neil was pride of his Scottish heritage, and uh, and he was. Uh, a symbol of the exploration of the outer worlds, Stanley, 
he decided to use him as a symbol of the inner war. <laughs> and he said, well, you are connected with my blood. And also the Scottish speleologists have a big majority in the scientific expedition, no? with people from the academies and the science institutes from Scotland. No? And what he, uh, Stanley was an uh, engineer born there and also he had many friends in the scientific uh, community no that is he he got that power to put that expedition in six months since he he decided and still he was enthusiastic and he believed totally what von Daniken wrote in that book <laughs> he was was uh, was a dream it was a dream that could take that that is the hook. the The metal library is is a story. Where you could make a, a comparison with the Grail, no? It, it attract and that trigger our our collective unconscious and our kind of uh, inner inner desires and uh, of uh, of uh, to to kind of grab uh, this kind of. Uh, yeah, this kind of uh, golden golden dream, and uh, and Armstrong was very enthusiastic to yeah to go to if he liked to travel he was already traveling visiting visiting countries after he put his steps in the moon, and he said yes yeah I'm going and and he he said his experience there. They have so much uh, similar level to his emotions in the face of the moon, and he was really kind of the the two days he spent in the cave also with Julio. Julio Gojenawado was a kind of a guide and a spiritual assistant with another uh, Scottish in French, John Wally. They were kind of uh, taking care of Neil, as you could see the pictures in my book. No, but there are unique mm-hmm. pictures of Neil. They're not the, the classical ones of the stalactite. Um, who was the first one? Was uh, released many years ago. But uh, but Neil didn't really uh, really talk too much. But uh, I had been friends with his family and. Uh, I tried to convince him to give me an interview on camera a decade ago, but he said uh, he he would like to talk only about the scientific levels of the cave, but he didn't want to go deep. And he said, yeah, it's a marvelous place, but... Uh, and he never shared it neither with his sons and with his family about what he perceived. They know, the family knows he went to Ecuador and he went to the cave, but neither have pictures of him in the cave. I was very, in all his memorabilia and all his uh, uh, heritage, I thought I was going to find some of special attention, no? But uh, he was a very private guy, but uh, he was uh, very kind of enthusiastic saying uh, he was talking about life and as, as we found life in the outer space, we found also a lot of different type of life 
in the bottom of the sea and in the bottom of the caves. We have all these kind of spectacular microbiological invertebrate life and uh, who are many, uh, many kind of uh, surviving in total darkness and, and reproducing itself and many other marvelous of the biology of of creatures who live in the absence of of light, no? No matter, yeah, the, the the micro universe of the soil of the cave is very interesting where you find all these kind of carpets of green and seed and plants created by the birds. The birds and the ecosystem bring the seeds and they create all this kind of phosphorescent type of green emerald kind of uh, landscape connected with the, the sounds. The bird, the tajos bird produce this vibrational constant whom, no? Whom who bring you kind of to an altered state of consciousness where they are vibrating and there are thousands of birds flying with you, descending with you, and also inside of the cave. And they pass very close to your head, but they never really touch it. But the ecosonar is very advanced. And it's kind of this, uh, you could see the marvelous of the nature evolution of the species, no? Or maybe an intelligent design, why not? <laughs> they're very, <laughs> they're very kind of peculiar creatures, no? And it's similar to the ecosonar, they have the dolphins. You feel this vibration when you are in the waters with the dolphin, and you feel the vibration of the birds when you are in this uh, this dark placenta of the cave, this kind of uh, uh, special womb, womb, of, sacred womb of the earth. And it's, uh, you yeah. feel... You feel the cave is alive too, with these things and between the marvelous species and the the kind of the intriguing intriguing of the constructions and the lack of light and lack of oxygen can <laughs> bring you to a different kind of state of consciousness. As many skeptics, they said, "Oh, yeah, but this." Uh, your friends, Julio and Juan, they saw they saw this library, and uh, maybe it was an experience, an altered state of consciousness, um, but no, no, the, no a real experience. But uh, I know what Julio returned to Argentina in that uh, first experience in 1968, after or during the expedition of the Mormons, he he was very emotional and he told his experience to the wife and to the younger daughter and he never talked again for years, for decades and to his brother too but we have to, I have to rediscover this 20, 30 years later as a kind of a proof, proof of testimony no? of the same always and that and he didn't profit with this story at all and the wife and the mother the, the, uh, his wife and uh, his daughter really 
and the brother too, his brother, younger brother told me, yeah, he was very emotional when he talked only what he saw and, and never again. And, and he used to tell me very, very little thing. And we were going to have an expedition in 97, uh, 97, 98. Uh, I was preparing that. He said he was going to guide me to the place. And after we follow, as I explained in the book, we were going. To, we have to contact these these elders, these Hibaro elders who knows, and they have to be escorting you to the side, to the right cave. And unfortunately, Julio died in a other expedition in the Argentine Andes before we could travel together. Yeah. And that was the end of the, his line. But I, I have been continuing researching after his death, honoring his work, and and the, yeah, the book is the book is kind of a, dedicated to his work too. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that uh, you make that very clear, and you know, might as well talk about. Some of the last parts of the book where you do make a, a your own expedition to the caves, you see what Morix, uh, you know, you confirmed what he. Uh, uh, Saul, and you, know, you do do have you know, these really interesting photos about those cut blocks, and and you discuss the amphitheater and uh, the stairs, uh, but but you, you know what do you what did you see of such interest with those uh blocks that look like they were uh, uh precisely cut well it had been a, a big challenge trying to kind of to prove that but had been already in the past and in the recent present a skeptical uh, geologists and researchers who trying to debunk this, the the site as natural formation, but I remember uh, years ago Julio showed me the corner stone, and he never saw it when he was with Armstrong in the cave. And I said, uh, "This is one of the pictures took in the expedition of '69." I said, "But." If this cornerstone is uh, duplicated, it's holding the two sides of the entrance between galleries, that means this is uh, an architectural element. And I showed the, the photo to many geologists and engineers and, and academics and to say, no, this is not a natural formation. It's kind of a, it's a holding, it's an angle, it's a support angle. And fortunate, in the last hours of my my third expedition to the area, 
uh, I was kind of rushing with my I was with the special forces of Ecuador of uh, who trained me after six months trying to make the goal but was the area was very difficult now it's very it's more easy after my lobbyists and trying to open and convincing the the shore authorities and the politicians to help to open to the tourists but uh, after I almost lost my life I said now any idiot could go <laughs> to the caves with the with the permits and you pay this kind of passport and say I don't know how much costs, no not too much to support the federation the uh, short generation you could have access that is the reason TV crews could go and you see people without any efforts you, you see that uh, gates uh, going there without any any kind of suffering um, but uh, the geology is one thing uh, the architectural kind of details is another one. Uh, when was the bigger analysis in 1976, uh, neither the team of uh, speleologists or the team of uh, geologists couldn't explain some of the features. Some features of the cave, they could explain as erosion of the water, but other not as the separation between one gallery and another, no, as was kind of drilling and polished after. And, uh, that always I keep in my attention, no? And I still kind of, I I am the first one who insists we need more research. So we need more comparative between these caves and the rest of the system, uh, but uh, the functionality of this kind of cuts is we have anomalies, we have a staircase, we have quartz formation, where it's a kind of more solid rock, we have concentrical thing, we have this kind of uh, different cut, monolithical cuts. I don't know, in a circular form, and a vertical, and a rectangular, and kind of the use, we don't know, but it looks like they give you the the sensation more than the corroboration of you are in an atomic shelter, yeah, in a nuclear shelter type of side, no? It's a kind of very very solid rocks and uh, and uh, yeah, this this kind of mining kind of an old mine sensation, no? Uh, I don't know. It's a kind of uh, depend on what what you perceive there, no? So it's, it's depend if uh, we we know we don't know how we could really uh, we could really prove or find more elements of measurement of this type of 
tunnels, but we know they extended for many miles and and they are very perfect, as you could see the photos in my book, no? Yeah, they 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 are uh, perfect cuts. Right, and the the angular stone, I found it. The same picture, I that was intriguing me thirty years ago. I found it before the sunrise, and uh, and it, and it's there, and it's it's one in the right and one on the left of the arc called the Juan Morix arc. It used to be called the Erich von Daniken, but the locals, as von Daniken lie, they decide to don't use his name anymore. <laughs> and, and they rebaptize as Juan Morix. But you find that when you exit between this arc and the commando caves, you you see the two, the two corner stones holding, holding the roof. Yeah, that is... Uh, element and I found a lot of kind of elements of uh, the columns but I don't know that they were columns or they were stalactites and uh, I took a sample unfortunately as we have to left the area but uh, we have a bad experience in the end I have to throw many of the samples out but the other caves for example we have another cave called the Chumbitajo cave uh, to which I did two expeditions uh, previous to the Quangos and the Chumbitayo cave have, we found this kind of uh, sculptures who assemble animals and, uh, and they are perfect kind of sculpture, I don't know how old they could be but one have a, a fish kind of a piranha. The piranha is a local fish in that area, but this is in, in the stone. And also we found one who looks like a river dolphin. as a perfect silhouette of the river dolphin, uh, who also is in the, uh, this area of the Amazon range. And other forms of birds, too, in the stone. And the more intriguing is I call the reflective panels. It's kind of there are inscriptions rectangular inscriptions, not necessarily a writing scripture, but carving, ideograms, rectangle, very basic rectangulars carved in the ceiling of the of one of the caves. And they are covered with dust gold. That is intriguing. What you you light it with your flashlight and you have this kind of uh, reflective and it's gold. It's a dust gold incrustation in high. Unfortunately, it's uh, not uh, in that time. I didn't have a drone to do an approximation, no. But the next time I I, I will do it. I send some of my followers, researchers who are bringing tourists to the area. But uh, my friend Manuel never really followed my desire. Said go to this part and to see if you could approach it with a better zoom or with a drone <laughs> as maybe that uh, we have more out. geometrical figures or loss scriptures yeah but uh, Alex uh, obviously when you make your 
expedition. Uh, you know, you're confirming what others uh, documented, but you're not uh, seeing the well. No, before before me, inhabitants. Were not too much, before me, were not too much the documentation. We have yeah, very but, limited one. Yeah, we we have uh, we have very kind of uh, besides Stanley Hall, who was he spent several years in Ecuador and did that expedition of '76, and uh, he tried also to decode, and he was following. Uh, he after the death of Morix, he decided to back to another source. And the source, what I found, was a total liar. It was a military guy who said he was brought to the to the this uh, special cave with uh, an, a special kind of treasure of objects, animals in gold and, and ceramic and, and glass and different type of materials, but. Uh, I get to the conclusion after knowing his family and the testimony of the wife. Also, that you could read it in my book. But I I interview everyone involved with the story in the last 30, 40 years, no? And I think yeah, it's it's the most complete research. But uh, I I prefer to do research in the field, but I. Uh, I call myself and I prove it. Uh, I do exploration, yeah, exploration and, and research on the field. No matter what kind of method you use, but uh, beyond the common sense. But I found the second, the second hope from Hall after his deception with Morix, is it was a misfire. But uh, but that. That golden inscriptions I found is in the second case where he said they were the the real depository of the of the metal library. But uh, the funny things, in, according to my records and my recollections, is not the right one that was following the story of uh, this military guy who also was exiled to the Orient <laughs> in the 50s. Yeah, and, and accidentally, or incidentally, he saved the life of one young Indian, Hibaro. As a, and it's a typical legend, they say, when you, you save the life of a person, in extreme circumstances in the jungle, they brought you to El Dorado. <laughs> and that was the legend really fulfilled itself. But this Indian group, they brought this this uh, corporal named Jaramillo to the, to the same cave after Morix will be found uh, 10 years later, no? Ten or fifteen years later. 
Uh, yeah, it's a it's a difficult part in the story, but uh, also I reconstruct that part. And uh, yeah, it's a story of many. Unfortunately, most of the characters are dead, and dead they don't talk. Or sometimes you talk, no? <laughs> sometimes they talk you know, through many, through a medium sense, maybe, <laughs> but. <laughs> Oh, uh, we might be able to arrange that. <laughs> well, it's one of the chapters. You have to read that part. What I explore the remote viewing. I I, consult, I, I, I was just going to say that. I consult I, I, one, top, the top experts of the remote viewing and the war to see what is their opinion. And uh, I didn't consult so many others, but there are many professional ones where they went to charge so much for Hepatitis and they don't guarantee they will find the, <laughs> the El Dorado. <laughs> but in this case, El Dorado, the true. But first, uh, in my search, I was trying to find if my friend Julio was telling me the true since I was a teenager, a, key, you know, a kid. And so it was uh, it's kind of the the dream of childhood, no? The, of uh, the true legend, no, the, the true story. When you trust your best friend and tell you the the true, nothing more than the true. No? That has been my idealistic, kind of idealistic uh, tribe. And I don't regret about my idealistic tribe, no? Yeah. Um, <laughs> Yes. Uh, I, 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 Alex, the, you know, one of the interesting points that you bring up, and you know, we find the same pattern all across the world. You know, we've had Maria Wheatley as a guest. She's uh, spoken about you know, the ley lines uh, found. At Stonehenge and Avebury, but uh, you, you know, you bring up or uh, incorporate the uh, what you're calling the check lines that uh, uh, run parallel uh, to each other across uh, Central America, and you know, that includes uh, the Taos Caves. Uh, what there's a connection uh, mm-hmm. yes. mm-hmm. with the Nazca lines and Lake Titicaca, and you know you mentioned that earlier, and that was I, I remember seeing uh, uh, that episode uh, uh, on Ancient Aliens with the uh, 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 Chief El Dorado uh, painting himself in gold and uh, swimming in the lake. Uh, was you know mm-hmm. were you part of that uh, consultant? Yes, uh, was that yeah, one of your episodes? I, I, you could, I, uh, yes, I used to, I designed mostly all the all Latin American segments for uh, ancient aliens for Prometheus and uh, during many years. Yes, yeah, more than more than one hundred fifty. Yeah, and uh, yeah, no, it's, I, I did that projection of the Nazca lines, which I studied for many years and discovered new lines in Chile, and in I feel the radials, the radials. 
they are not only departing from Nazca, they overlapping for the center of the empire with this Cusco. And uh, they have all these kind of uh, projective lines going south, so to the south part of the Tahuantinsuyo. These lines, they cross Chile, they cross uh, Bolivia, and they get to Argentina. But in, for example, in between Chile and Bolivia and the desert, you'll find this line connected with geoglyph, uh, with symbols and with uh, drawings uh, of animals and plants and circulars and geometrical thing. So it's, uh, it's the Nazca lines they don't finish in the pampas of Nazca and Palpa or Arequipa, but they continue to the east to Brazil and they continue south. But also this Kenke system, they, these radials not, not only connect with uh, markings of water, but the water was very important and it's important today as was 500 years ago, as 1,000 years ago as the markers. But uh, we had been debating if it's, we are until we are um, in front of uh, representation of, of the heavens and the skies with uh, an uh, astronomical kind of mapping instead to be symbolic. But you have to really back in time to adapt the mind of the Aymaras, the Kichu Aymaras and the Prankas to see their cosmovision. And we know is we see it through the drawness of uh, our nature and ecological interpretation of, of the, the desert life, no? and the life of this part of uh, of the geography of the Andes is uh, semi-arid and could be very arid um, and as had been in today couldn't be 1,000 years ago, no? I don't think the climate, the paleo climate changed too much but uh, I don't follow the, the explanation of water reservoirs, but more in the mystical side of the radials. We don't know these these lines, why they project. I think uh, they project in the creation of the secret points, no? There's some more points connecting with deities, connecting with the spiritual world, no? And the spiritual world is also connected with the luminosity in the heavens and the skies, no? And every star has a different type of uh, representation, no? And that is matching with the ceramics, too, no? We have the Paracas, Nazca ceramics, and every place. And the strange thing is, yeah, they project south. Um, but... Uh, that projection I seen is connected with the, the the moving of the stars through the southern hemisphere through the heavens. Yeah, the translation yeah of the of the heavens, yeah, the moving of the heavens more than elements 
of the ground. I think we have elements of the air and the, and the night sky in this case. But uh, yeah, it's a big, it's still a big mystery. We we cannot really explain. But connected with the Tajos, yes, the Tajos, the solstice and equinox illuminated the main cave. The Quangos Cave is kind of the cathedral. It's the 16th chapel. It's the main one, who has been not only the bigger concentration of the old verse, but uh, the places with really many etnias, they pilgrimage to the area to harvest the birds and, and close this cycle. But, for example, the skeleton, the human remain was founded near the entrance, an entrance who is illuminated by the sun on September 21st, and is illuminated in March, and is illuminated in the solstice of December, just was below that that ray of beam of light, was found this skeleton, and he was escorted, he was uh, uh, surrounded by ceramics, advanced ceramics, an oil lamp, and a spondylus. The spondylus is this pink shell who also you only found in the Pacific coast. And it was a very precious element to have this really pink shell, but you could you have to retrieve diving deep in the coast, no? And they use it for decoration. That means this group, human group, follow kind of the light to to the east, going to Amazon. And we know in the Amazonia between Ecuador and Brazil and going south, there were many groups, human groups, who built uh, cities, but these cities were not in concrete, but were wood and straw. But they have a very advanced, sophisticated system of irrigation, and they are very old. I follow their works of Betty Meggers, who was a friend and mentor of the Smithsonian, and she she concludes the agriculture uh, agriculture groups, agricultures and uh, peoples from the last three thousand five thousand years between Brazil and Bolivia and Peru. They have very kind of advanced lines of uh, of build uh, build this kind of uh, terraces and including in areas where were marshes create this kind of uh, terrains with uh, with levels of uh, advanced levels of harvesting and seeding. And that is when you go to the to the east, no? The east. And also in if you go to the coast of Ecuador and don't forget Ecuador is the half of the war. And uh, when the French measure the equatorial line, what they found? They found an ancient culture was already measured with perfection the half of the war. 
<laughs> and you find these lines, these these heckles, these kind of moans, and also you found this pyramidal group, a kind of north, kind of half an hour north of the Ecuador, um, and this uh, tumulus, this kind of uh, pyramidal moans are aligning to the Ursus Major and Ursus Minor, who were also very light in the stars in the in the ancient and the contemporary heavens. And we don't know what they have this kind of fixation to worship and have orientation of these gray mounds, sacred gray mounds, to these stars. But coming back to the the half of the war, it's amazing how they already the pre Incas and the Quitus Caras, who was the group living in Quito area, they measure before the French, kind of one thousand years before. <laughs> how you explain that? We don't know. But uh, and if the Spaniards construct all the famous churches of the Jesuits covered by a lot of plates of gold too, taken from the mines and taken from the gold of the of the jungle and from the Potosi and and the rest of the underground regions of the South Andes. But interesting, but these pyramidal constructions, so there are many along Quito there are churches, but if you excavate below that, there are temples. And today, the architects, they construct the windows as also in the solstice and the equinodes, the, the beam of light, they don't illuminate some kind of wall with uh, astronomical observation, but they illuminate the, the religious statues. <laughs> it's kind of very, very interesting kind of eschatology and and a renovation of pagan, pagan rites and pagan details in the today worshipping of Christianity, no? But but, uh, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, that is oh, another uh, history. Uh, but but Quito, Quito have many mm-hmm. uh, mountains and mountains who are really connected not only with the stars but also markers of the season of the of the year, solstice and equinox. Yeah, in secret in secret mountains, secret hills. Yeah, and again, the line. The today we discovered the French, the La Condamine expedition was wrong, and the right half of the war is the old mark we find, kind of uh, ten twenty degrees north of the of the French marker. <laughs> How you explain that? It's, a, it's impossible. And, and the Kitus Karas looks yeah. like they were very advanced in mathematicians, as mathematicians as the Mayans, but uh, we are in the la mitad del mundo in this case. <laughs> yeah, that, that is a yeah, subject. It, it, yeah. it, I, I talk briefly in the book. I, I don't go, I think in my second in the continuation of the mystery of the Tajos Caves, I will go in detail about the secret geometry of the Preintas. Yeah. Yeah, and, and, and you know, Alex, we're you know, approaching like ten minutes left. 
but uh, you know, you brought up all these mysteries, the theories, and uh, okay, you know, uh, we can get into the sacred geometry at, at some other point. But you know, there is yeah evidence, something that's persisting uh, from this cave, and you know, you do pre- uh, present you know that, that there are notarized government records uh yeah doesn't that lend a little bit more credibility that yeah this is yeah documented in the government of ecuador that that's uh has been you know officially uh more uh Statements have been officially accepted by the Ecuadorian government. Oh yes, he uh, Morix, after the release of the von Daniken bestseller, The Gold of the Gods, he decided to register as a notary public, but he was afraid he was going to lost his discovery and with his lawyer they make an inventory what he saw with uh, before Julio and after with Gojena Wado in one of the K of the system with uh, so much detail and uh, but uh, he, he never offered a, a final proof in the in his kind of uh, personality debacle toward that deception he had with uh, the government in the second expedition. But the the first 69, his partner with part of the tourist office, and the tourist office almost ignored him, and he decided to bring that to the chamber of the metal library and after that he he closed himself and he have an, another deception with Fondanik and Fondanik can use him and he never delivered the financing of the expedition he was requiring I remember $200,000 which he never showed and, and Fondanik sold more than the 20 million copies of that book believe it or not <laughs> and he didn't give anything what? Yeah, but, but to 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 Morris and his lawyer, uh, no matter he defend himself saying he he want to have more proof, but uh, in some level, the story twist itself, and we have a big gaps there in that story. But yeah, the the, the Ecuadorian government was looking for more. Prove and uh, Morris have a nemesis named Hernan Crespo, who was director of the research for the central bank and part of the UNESCO, and he never, he didn't believe neither in in Morris or in Danik, and that that created another big kind of uh, stress in the life of of Morris and in other people who were trying to bring that that archaeological collection to 
to the surface. And I said, where is that? In what? I know he decided to to protect it. Yeah. And he brought that secret to the grave. Both they brought okay. the secret, but uh, him and Julio, they have a pact of silence. And they keep it to the final moments. And, uh, yeah, it's a kind of, uh, it was the first time in history when Discover make a, a notary registration, public notary, <laughs> thinking with that we will be protected. But uh, he was, nobody gave the guarantee. All the people, including the Stanley Hall, he didn't really want to follow what Morix was asking, and that was neutrality, neutrality of the discovery. And his neutrality of discovery was kind of to protect it, yeah, from the looting. But uh, he couldn't escape from the looting neither when he lost the discovery of the longest mine in the in the Andes, no? The story of Comparazza and Ambija is also part of uh, one of the chapters, the final chapters of my book. Yeah. It, it, Alex, we have now oh, about five minutes uh, left. Um, you know, we can give you time to uh, tell people uh, where they can get your book or yeah, if you want to plug anything, you had a great uh, uh, lecture at the Explorers Club that you mm-hmm. uh, uh, put out on social media uh, last week. Uh, do you have any other um, uh, lecture, uh, public lectures coming up? No, at the moment, no. I think it's the presentation of my book was in the Explorers Club, and I, I give that master lecture. I talked before, 2015, you know, what I give my also the master official lecture on all the story and all my research and through the point of view of an explorer, you know, but I explore the natural world. I, said, I, I talk about the natural wonders of these caves, and the animals and the flora and fauna, not only about the archaeological side, no? Saying the, the people are more in, intriguing in the metal library and the Neil Armstrong, but also uh, this cave is a marvelous ecosystem, no? And it's not well known. Unfortunately, uh, the stupid people in television they really believe what I was talking years ago when I was trying to do it with National Geographic or the Smithsonian. They didn't really believe in my <laughs> in my call. Now when I show the pictures, they start to believe it. Yeah, but uh, I don't know if they will continue ignoring me. Uh, this development kind of. Uh, uh, executives who who they don't see beyond their noses, <laughs> and yeah, you could uh, order the book. Yeah, the Inner Traditions uh, website, uh, their company also, and Barnes and Noble website, and Amazon. 
And it's uh, Simon and Schuster is releasing the book in the UK and Canada. It's a distributor of my book. And uh, the book is almost sold out. I think it's having a big uh, sale and interesting what is a new subject on the mysteries. And, uh, and I think the, the people want to know more about and this is so many stories and so many other elements. We don't talk about interpretation of the of the metal scrolls of the apocrypha ones, the one founded in, in the Crespi collection. They're very interesting. But also there are more mm-hmm. in other areas of Ecuador who are part of Phoenician, uh, Sumerian, very ancient cultures that what they come to the Americas and they left this kind of uh, legacy of uh, mm-hmm. that that is interesting plus also yeah we have very advanced scriptures in, in the Valdivia area I call the Valdivia plates and uh, in my book I talk about other findings of uh, libraries the, the metal libraries that are all over in the Andes that connected also with the plateau of Markawasi, which is a subject I, I researched for so many years too, and connect mm-hmm. with this yep. lost knowledge. Yeah, Markawasi is important. I did a segment for also ancient aliens, and I put the place in the map, and uh, and that connect uh, with the mystery of elongated skulls too, that I found it in some of my trips, but. Uh, but I left it there, as the archaeologists continue, they could continue doing the official work <laughs> of classification. Yeah, I kind of I open new trail blazing. And, uh, oh yeah. I, um, I, uh, you could you could yeah. invite me next time and I talk about my other expeditions in the map. Yeah, oh, we'll the do that. <laughs> uh, uh, this is uh, ter- terrific and. Uh, you know, your book does cover, you know, enchanting information. Uh, you know, folklore. I'm a big folklore fan, and you know, the, the very real possibilities of trans-Pacific and trans-Atlantic uh, crossings. I, uh, you know, this is uh, cutting-edge material. Oh, I, I, I really enjoyed your book, and ho- hopefully, we can get. You outselling uh, Von Daniken's book, and, and uh, you know, I don't think have... it's going to happen. But this is okay. <laughs> if I, I I decide to tell the truth, and nothing more than the truth. Yeah. Oh, you, you did an excellent job, and you, you know we're just about uh, Barbara's. Uh, you know, t- tell me we're just about out of time. Uh, you know, h- how about we have you come back again sometime soon? And yeah, you know, Barbara, you want to step step in and wrap it up? Okay, sure yeah, we'll will. Um, <clears throat> I want to thank everybody for being here tonight and enjoying this amazing, amazing lecture. And certainly, we all look forward to having him back again. Um, so, don't forget to tune in Monday night. That's going to be free readings, and um, then next year. We start in on again all over again. In the meantime, thanks for listening. Thanks so much, everybody, and good night. <laughs>